This is Pendust Radio. Welcome, all you literati, you lovers of words and tales, you who need a break in your hurried, harried lives. We have a salve for your soul with stories imaginative and original. Short stories, riveting fiction, and wildly creative nonfiction. Pen Dust Radio. Definitely not the same old story. Please visit us at pendustradio.com. This podcast is a production of Rivercliff Books and Media. We publish literary fiction and creative nonfiction. Learn more at rivercliffbooks.com. As a young man, Roberto Loiterman read Henry Miller's Tropic of Cancer and George Orwell's Down and Out in Paris and London, which inspired a dream, to be broke in Paris one day. In his seventies, as a tourist in Paris, a sudden event gives him the chance to live out his youthful dream. Temporarily, anyway. This is a story about how we are all pretenders, to one degree or another. Roberto Deuterman has been a journalist, merchant seaman, TV scriptwriter, dynasty, Knots Landing, Days of Our Lives, etc., kibbutz cook, deli owner, documentary film producer and writer, and some other professions he'd rather not remember. He is co-author of The Eagle Mutiny and has written for the L.A. Times, The Washington Post, and many other publications. Playing Air Guitar in Paris Written by Roberto Leuterman Read by Tom Zingarelli During my first week in Paris, I shooed away several groups of would-be thieves and pickpockets. Thin young men and women preying on vulnerable tourists, swarming around them, badgering them to sign a piece of paper or read a document in English, or pretending that they'd found a valuable gold ring. These scams must work some of the time, because you see these groups over and over. A week after we arrived, my wife went to Israel to visit her family, leaving me alone in Paris. The day after she left, a Saturday morning, I started early and walked for hours heading toward Montmartre. When I got there, I was exhausted and looked it, a sweaty 72-year-old tourist, a turkey fit to be plucked. It was enormously crowded in Montmartre, many thousands of people jostling, moving, and gawking. Had I flashed my wallet when sitting in the little park, the one with the carousel and the kids playing? Hmm, maybe. In retrospect, I remember a man in his twenties eyeing me and talking on a cell phone. At the time, I didn't focus on him. I walked through narrow streets, then up some steps toward Sacre-Cœur, Suddenly, I felt a twinge. Of what? Sciatica, perhaps? I was dizzy as if something had been sprayed in the air. I stopped and felt my back pocket. My wallet was gone. Gone. I felt woozy and faint, not just because I'd been violated, but because of the embarrassment. I, someone who'd been around the world and around the block too many times to count, had been fleeced. 
me. My wallet had been removed as neatly as if a magician had done it. I looked around, but saw no one. He, she, they had disappeared. I stumbled down the steps and walked into a restaurant. The owner was preparing the day's menu. I tried to get his help, but he waved me away. He wasn't going to let a desperate tourist interfere with his lunch business. I staggered further down the street. Finally, two young women working at a vegetarian restaurant came to my rescue. They sat me down and brought me water. I realized then that I still had my phone. Too frazzled and sweaty to manage the cancellation of my credit cards, I called my wife in Israel and she took care of it. One of the young French women made calls and the police came. I filed a report and then used the few coins I had left to take the metro back to my rented flat. By the time I got there, it was late in the afternoon. I couldn't help replaying the scene in my mind, the moment when I realized I'd been pickpocketed. I heard a cuckoo sound in my head, over and over. You sap, you sap, you sap. I'd been so careless, and having traveled the world extensively should have known better. The problem is that Paris is excruciatingly civilized, not like Brazil or Turkey or Cambodia or Pakistan or many of the other places where I'd lived or worked. Those are all places where I'm very careful about what I take with me and how I carry it. So I'd lapsed into my lazy American habits, carrying all my cash and credit cards in my wallet, in my pants pocket, instead of using the money pouch I use when I'm traveling in the third world. Secure and zippered, it hangs around my neck, inside my shirt. I mapped out what I had to do. I called Visa. They'd send 200 euros via Western Union. Okay, fine. But I realized that the neighborhood post office bank, which handles Western Union, wouldn't reopen until Monday morning. That was 40 hours away. So, I had no money, no credit cards, and no way to access an ATM. But I had a bed to sleep in and enough food to last a couple of days. Oatmeal in the morning, noodles at night. While I waited for Western Union to open, I explored the neighborhood, the Botanical Gardens, the Luxembourg Gardens, Rue Mouffetal, the market stalls and cafes, people buying and selling. I just walked, looking at it all, observing, and not a penny in my pocket, not a cent. That's when it suddenly hit me. I was in Paris, and I was broke. Broke in Paris! Ever since I dived into a smuggled copy of Henry Miller's Tropic of Cancer in 1956, and ever since I'd read George Orwell's Down and Out in Paris and London, this exact situation had been my dream, to be broke in Paris. I'd finally achieved it. This thought didn't blot out that sickening moment when I'd realized that my back pocket was empty, but it helped make the dark memory a little bit lighter. On Monday morning, I picked up the 200 euros, but I decided I would go on pretending that I was broke. So, over the next week, I never ate at a restaurant, made sandwiches before leaving the flat, and carried as little money as possible. Each day, I walked about 10, 12 miles, 
When I got hungry, I'd find a park and eat the sandwich I'd brought. All day, I'd drink Paris tap water. Then, when I was too wiped out to continue walking, I'd take the metro back to the flat. Feeling strong again, I went back to Montmartre. I put a packet of tissues in my rear pants pocket, hoping that someone would try to steal it. I had fantasies of grabbing the pickpocket's arm and tearing it off. Well, that never happened, of course, but it made me feel better, and the memory of my desperate moment faded a bit more. When my wife returned, we went back to a normal tourist schedule. Opera, museums, meals at charming cafes and bistros, we even went back to Montmartre, where we visited Sacré-Cœur and had dinner in the neighborhood. My fling at being broke in Paris was over. But, of course, it had never really existed. I was never really broke in Paris. I'd only pretended that I was. It was a jarring reminder of all those other times in my life when I'd pretended to be something I wasn't. Perhaps because I'd been pickpocketed, which was so counter to my image of myself, I couldn't help reliving my life. I'd been so many things, a merchant seaman, kibbutz farmer, world traveler, ashram resident, screenwriter, deli owner, journalist, and the list goes on. But even when those phases lasted for years, I was just skimming the surface, always pretending. And now, too, pretending that I was broke in Paris. You sap, you sap, you sap. The next day, I got an email from AAA. The subject line was, Your wallet found in Paris. What? An employee of AAA had received an email from a young California man who'd found my wallet in Montmartre and wanted to get it back to me. AAA didn't give him my contact information, but they gave me his. He's in Paris, they wrote. I contacted him. He was living at the end of a metro line. He asked for one thing, a baguette, since he lived in a suburb where he couldn't get a good one. It turned out that he was living on a 45-foot sailboat divided up into three small apartments. I asked him what he was doing in Paris. I stage air guitar extravaganzas, he said. You mean people who pretend they're playing guitar? Yeah, we have competitions. We've done them all over. It's spreading like crazy. He gave me my wallet, minus the cash, of course, and I invited him to dinner. He joined my wife and me on our last night in Paris. Since we had no reservations, we were seated near the restaurant door, which was good, because inside, in the main room, someone was singing sultry songs, off-key in English. If we'd been any closer, it would have been hard to carry on a conversation. After a couple of glasses of wine, I told the young man that by returning my wallet, he'd renewed my faith in mankind. Embarrassed at having to bear the burden of my faith, or lack of it, in mankind, he got up to go to the men's room. When he returned, he said, Do you know who's been singing? A drag queen. Sure enough, the transvestite entertainer came over, singing, looking for tips. So here I was, having a delicious dinner and fabulous wine, 
with a guy who stages air guitar competitions while listening to an aging transvestite sing American songs with too much emotion and not enough talent. These were two men whose current lives were proudly built around pretense. So, was that the takeaway from this incident? That we're all pretenders to one degree or another? That we all skim the surface, and the trick is to be at peace with it? With each glass of wine, that seemed to make more and more sense. This story is copyright 2012 by Roberto Leuterman. This recording is copyright 2021 by Rivercliff Books and Media. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pen Dust Radio. For more information or to submit your writing to the podcast, please visit pendustradio.com. This podcast is a production of Rivercliff Books and Media. Learn more at rivercliffbooks.com. The story featured in this episode is a work of fiction. Names, characters, places, and incidents are the products of the author's imagination or are used fictitiously. Any resemblance to actual events, locales, or persons, living or dead, is entirely coincidental. <laughs>